a rare but deadly disease hidden in the air you breathe. And I'm in full-blown panic mode. I've worked my whole life to get my PGA Tour card, and now I've got to go see a hand surgeon. Nearly two-thirds of cases in the United States contracted in Arizona. And actually, if you wanted to draw a really fine point on this, 50% of all U.S. infections occur in Maricopa County. The damage long-lasting. They will never recover. The scarring is permanent. 2021 off to a historic year for cases. So we're now actually ahead of the numbers year to date for 2021 than we were in the highest year on record for Arizona. You may be surprised by what you don't know about Valley Fever. You're listening to a KOLD News 13 original podcast, Danger in the Dust. Thank you, everyone, for joining us again for Danger in the Dust. We are so excited to have you listen to our podcast. I'm Brooke Wagner. And I'm Erin Christensen. And today we have with us Janet Galante, and she owns Sit, Stay, Play, which is a social learning center for dogs here in Tucson. Janet, welcome. Hi, how are you? Doing well, thank you. How many dogs do you think you've owned over the years? Oh gosh, I honestly, I honestly couldn't tell you. That's what Lisa, Lisa Schubitz, we spoke to Dr. Schubitz recently as well, and she said the same thing, that she, she couldn't count. The reason I ask you that question is because it kind of leads into another. How many um, experiences have you had, um, how many dogs have you seen go through Valley Fever? Oh, I, it's, because of my business, I've probably, oh, scores of dogs. My own dogs, um, I've had several, and then I've also participated in rescue over the years. And about at one time when I was heavily involved in rescue, about half of the dogs that we'd get into rescue had valley fever. It definitely is very impactful to shelter dogs. So, and I just, what I'm getting at here is what is the breadth of the illness for dogs. You've seen ones who recover very quickly with no issues or maybe even don't really show symptoms. And then you've seen others who didn't live through the disease. That's right. And it's so sad. Um, the The owners, obviously, that I see with, with my um, daycare and social learning center are people that are extremely committed to their dogs and um, and most of them have the financial ability to care for them through valley fever. But it's devastating for people whose dogs get valley fever and they don't have the financial resources to care for them in the optimal way in the way that they probably prefer. It's, it, it is devastatingly expensive sometimes. And back in the day, like when I first moved here to, I I moved here to go to grad school and um, I didn't know about valley fever. And of course, um, one of my dogs then got valley fever. And back then we would drive to Mexico to get um, ketoconazole because it was so expensive. 
Now, fortunately, we have generic drugs and there's compounded drugs and it's much more affordable, but still it's, it's expensive to, to just have your dog tested and then the follow-up visits and the, um, the x-rays, the films, everything that goes along with the diagnosis. I mean, veterinarians can't determine a dog's status without taking tests. They have to, they, they can't have a conversation with the dogs, so they actually need to, to run diagnostic tests and they can be quite expensive. And then over the course of the illness, you're paying for meds and you're having to do follow-up visits. So, you know, it, it can be very, very expensive. It's costly. It's emotional. It's emotionally costly for people too, because some dogs just don't respond very well. Other dogs get over it very quickly, but some dogs don't respond well. We've had dogs at daycare who have had to have amputations. And um, we've had dogs who have actually moved away and then had to continue. Um, actually, many of them continued by seeing um, either driving back 12 hours or more to see Dr. Schubitz. Some of them had established relationships with their veterinarians in other states, and those veterinarians had to establish a relationship with Dr. Schubitz because they were totally unfamiliar with the disease. So, you know, it's it, it's it's complicated, and um, and it can be it can be very very devastating on many levels for people. People love their dogs. Dogs are family members. And um, and it's it's terribly it's terribly sad. And I know it also takes a toll on veterinarians because veterinarians want to help dogs. And um, I think it's really hard for them when they're faced with people who don't have the financial resources to care for their dogs the way that they would want to. Yeah, it's it, it is such a tough quandary and. You have one of those devastating stories that actually spurred you to start fundraising to help this vaccine come to fruition because um, you have a dear friend who lost such a lovely dog to the disease. Can you tell us about Tyler? Oh, sure. Tyler um, Tyler is, was a Hungarian Visla. Um, I have these Liz as well, and um, he was such a happy, joyful dog, um, just a really fun, fun guy. And um, my friend Randy noticed that the dog's behavior was changing. And it's a, a lot of times when you have a sudden behavior change in a dog, it's a lot of times it is related to a change in the dog's health status. But Tyler didn't seem sick, but Tyler was doing weird things. He would start trembling. He'd go outside and start trembling. In the house, he was getting upset when the ice maker would, um, would produce ice. It was kind it was, it was weird, and, um, but he didn't seem sick. All of a sudden, Tyler became very ill. And um, they didn't know what was wrong with Tyler. And of course, 
Um, Randy is the same veterinarian that I used and, and it was a very competent vet and the vet immediately tested Tyler for Valley fever. Well, the test came back negative. He also, of course, did some films. The films didn't indicate Valley fever. Tyler got very sick very quickly and um, the vet could not address it in a stepwise fashion like you normally would and eliminate things because the dog got so sick so fast. So the dog was sent over to the emergency center where they did a multitude of tests and um, he still wasn't positive. But Dr. Schubitz um, thought that Tyler had valley fever because, you know, if it walks like a dog, talks like a duck and so they started treating Tyler um, and um, he wasn't responding. Finally he got he continued to get very ill and um, they found a nodule on his body wall and they aspirated that and it tested positive for valley fever and so they brought out the big guns and they were giving him Abelset and all the really expensive drugs. And literally um, about 10 days and $7,000 later, Tyler was put to sleep. He was, he just couldn't recover. And um, Lisa, um, I, I met Lisa Schubitz, Dr. Schubitz, um, uh, through her puppy. And she was in one of my training classes and got to know her and um, heard stories over the years um, about valley fever and um, and her work in valley fever and trying to develop um, this vaccine. Um, and it was I I was also looking for um, some sort of way to give back to the community that I served with my dog business. And um, we adopted um, the Valley Fever Center for our charity. And each year we have various events and I decided that I wanted to invest the little bit of money that we were able to donate that we wanted to invest it to something that would help our community. And um, so I have watched over the years how um, the Valley Fever Center and Dr. Schubitz have um, strived to um, develop a vaccine. It's been interesting, it's been heartbreaking, and then ultimately in the last few years, it's been joyful because they have, um, they've been able to develop um, a vaccine that works. And um, I'm grateful, I'm excited, and um, I think it is such tremendous asset, especially to our community, because we all know that 70% of valley fever cases um, are generally be considered between Tucson and Phoenix along the highway. And so we're affected tremendously. And I think this is going to be such an asset to our community and not just our dog community, but also for um, 
all of us humans, all of us two-legged creatures. So, um, we, and we will continue, even though um, they have developed this vaccine, we're going to continue to contribute to the efforts because there are so many unanswered questions about valley fever. And, um, and unfortunately, it's one of these little orphan illnesses that occurs in a small geographic area, a relatively small geographic area. And, um, and so um, they continue to need the community's help and fundraising. I don't want people to forget that. Just because we have a vaccine doesn't mean this is over. There's lots and lots of work to still be done. So if someone wants to contribute, how do they do that? Well, we contribute through the Valley Fever Center for Excellence to their, um, they have an animal, a companion animal fund. And we do that because, um, you know, a lot of research starts in animals and then it moves on to help humans. So by contributing to the companion animal fund, you are ultimately contributing to um, the human community too. And um, you don't have to do that through through me, through my business. You can contribute directly. And it's um, I believe it's through the U of A Foundation. And um, we direct all of our funds to something called the Tyler Ford Fund that we kind of set up for our, um, our clients and, and other people who want to contribute. We do silly things to, to raise money. Like my employees are awesome. And every year we um, have a gingerbread doghouse contest and my employees make gingerbread dog houses and my um, fabulous clients then um, we have an auction and we auction off the dog houses um, and we raise money that way we do santa pictures and this year um, depending on the status of covid in our community but we may open up those um, santa pictures to the community at large so that we can raise more money but um, that's one of our primary fundraising efforts. Um, and hopefully um, we'll also be able to start having our, um, um, each month we, we try to um, have a community event uh, lecture of some kind. Um, and hopefully we'll be able to open up those. And we always ask for donations, it's optional. And all of that money, I just, we donate to Valley Fever Research. Um, it is a privilege. The people over there are amazing. Um, and they're so incredibly grateful for every single donation they get. And I mean small donations. They don't have to be. Those $5 donations add up and they're meaningful. And it's a really great way that we can all contribute to something that's so important in our community. And to speak to that, as I was doing some of the research for this, I couldn't believe how much of the canine vaccine has been funded by animal lovers and dog owners and just family. And just like you're saying, $5 here, whatever they can give has really, I mean, it truly, it, in, in, Nonprofit organizations and organizations that work on funding will always say every bit makes a difference. In this case, I mean, it is a force that has been behind this vaccine just from 
individuals. It's really amazing, and it really speaks to how much we love our family member animals. Oh, absolutely. And it's there's lots of organizations. The Tucson Kennel Club, for instance, has donated. Um, I'm a member of the Rio Salada Vizla Club, and the Rio Salada Vizla Club has donated. Um, it. I don't know. I there's hardly anybody I know that hasn't been affected by Valley Fever. And not, I mean, their dogs, their family members. I have my the manager of my business had Valley Fever when she was seven years old. And um, I had an employee who had Valley Fever and um, it disseminated to her brain and she had to quit working. It is, it, it's, it truly is devastating. And the other day you and I were talking about the silverback gorilla at the Los Angeles Zoo that contracted Valley Fever. Um, it is in other companion animals too. I know that they've been researching, they've been looking at llamas. So um, it's not just dogs, it's not just people. It's pretty endemic in our, in our community. So um, yeah, I think everything that we can do to um, raise awareness and to help the Valley Fever Center move forward with their projects is important. Yeah, we had talked about not only the importance of uh, raising funds, but awareness, as you had mentioned. And, you know, some of the research that Brooke and I have done, it seems like um, in other states that are also impacted by Valley Fever, they've done more to raise awareness, you know, at the different government levels, that sort of thing. Whereas, you know, I don't know that we've really kind of brought it to to a different level here in Arizona just yet. Would you agree? I, I agree, <laughs> and I I understand the reasons for that, and and I mean it does scare people. I know people who don't. When we have dog events, a lot of people are wary of coming because they've heard of valley fever and they're concerned about it. Um, but I have to say, there are across the country there are all kinds of s- smaller orphan illnesses in the Midwest everywhere that um, that are that are not dissimilar. Um, and I think that we have to talk openly and honestly about it. And um, I agree. I wish that we would do more to raise awareness. Um, I think it's I think it's important. It does. I think shining a light, shining the light <laughs> on problems is the only way that you can move forward with them. Absolutely. Do you have your dogs in there with you today or no? My dogs are at daycare right now. They are at daycare (laughs) and they're so cute. And your Christmas pictures are so adorable. I hope that it's possible to open them up to the community. But um, how are you going to feel when you take your dogs to get this vaccine? I am I am so excited. Um, both of my girls, well, one of my girls was um, treated for valley fever, and the other one who participated in Dr. Schubert's study, we were surprised to find out, had been exposed to valley fever. It's not really a surprise, but she, she wasn't sick. My other dog um, did have symptoms. So I'm going to be thrilled. And um, every dog that I have moving forward will be vaccinated. Um, 
I can't imagine why we wouldn't do that. And I hope, um, I hope in the future, one of the things that I'd like to do is set up a fund so that we can um, make, make money available to help vaccinate dogs um, that are, um, it's, who knows what the cost is gonna be, but we, you know, I would like to be able to help people who maybe can't afford the vaccine to um, to vaccinate their dogs. Maybe you know, who knows? Maybe we could have clinics for that to help um, to help people in the underserved community um, so that they don't have to worry about finding the money to treat their dogs. We just find the money to vaccinate their dogs. It'd be awesome. Well, we appreciate you and your work in the community as well. And hopefully together we can make some kind of difference here. And we are just so excited to for the day to come when we can do the story that the vaccine is here and you can get it at your vet. Thank Thanks, you, Janet. Janet. It's been a pleasure. Our thanks to Janet Galante for her insights into valley fever in pets. Coming up next time on Danger in the Dust, from PGA Tour to Panic, we're circling back to a topic we touched on in Episode 1. Athletes, are they more at risk for contracting valley fever? We're talking to one pro golfer about his experience with a rare case that left him wondering if he'd ever play golf again. Join us for our next episode of Danger in the Dust, a KOLD News 13 original podcast.